Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix Podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to a special, bonus, breaking news WSJ Media Mix Podcast. Uh, We're talking today about AT&T's blockbuster, $85.4 billion deal for Time Warner. Uh, And joining me in the booth, we have Amal Sharma. He's a media marketing bureau chief here at The Journal. And Keech Hagee, uh, she covers television and and been covering the deal. Guys, what's up? uh, Stephen, does this qualify as breaking news? I mean, the deal was on Saturday. This is in in the podcast world. uh, This is breaking breaking news. It's Um, it's blowing people's minds. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So um, now that we've had a a few days to ruminate on on this deal, um, we kind of wanted to break it down for our listeners. It's a big deal. And... So I wanted to just sort of start and 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 ask and Keach sort of what the concept behind the deal that that it makes sort of sense to to unify content, Time Warner, which owns CNN, HBO, TBS, and AD distribution, big wireless giant. Um, that not isn't necessarily new logic, but the deal seemed to sort of come out of nowhere. Did it come out of nowhere? Like, where, can you trace this for us? How this all came together? Well, I think to understand it, it helps to go back a couple years to the last time someone tried to buy Time Warner, which is when 21st Century Fox made a run at it. And at that time, Time Warner beat them back for a whole bunch of reasons. Price, they didn't like the stock mix, all of that. Um, But they said, you know, one of the things was that there were not other buyers in the marketplace who were available right then because who they really wanted to buy them was a big tech company or maybe a telecom company. Um, You know, this was sort of signaled in so many ways. And at that time, AT&T was tied up with its acquisition of DirecTV. So it was busy. It couldn't really jump in. And, you know, everyone kind of noted that logic. Okay, interesting. Time Warner wants to be bought by a tech or telecom company. Cool. Time passes. We keep getting a little bit of chatter about this idea of AT&T buying Time Warner. It was would, it would, sort of a rumor that would like pop in from time to time. And Time Warner has been talked about as sort of the big takeover target in media for a while. Right. The important thing to understand about Time Warner really is that it is not controlled by a family because so many of the other media companies are. Uh, it has you know professional management. You can buy it, whereas you know you can't buy things that the, the Murdoch family or the Redstone family, which are the, the competitors, control. Um, you know, generally speaking, that's the, the thinking. Right. So we'd, we'd heard some general ideas about this for months, and uh, but I honestly was shocked how quickly it all came together. Um, you know, Bloomberg reported on Thursday afternoon, last Thursday afternoon, is that right, that there were some talks between AT&T and Time Warner that involved many things, including potentially a merger, no timeline for this, but it definitely got everyone's attention, got the stock's attention after hours. And, um, we, you know, we're, we had already been hearing a little bit about this, but I was shocked that by the next morning, we were able to report that, no, this deal isn't just maybe going to happen. It's going to happen. And this it's going to happen like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was what was shocking. And, and, uh, and obviously, Keech's reporting was fantastic on this. And, and there was a real team effort here, but it took a lot of people to nail this down. It it looked like, and that this is what had been out there in the ether for for a, a little while, that this might be something that was <clears throat> coming at the end of the year, maybe next year. It might be months away. Maybe AT and T was mulling this. Um, I think the idea when we when we were able to nail down that not only was this coming soon, but it was coming 
uh, that was Friday morning. It was coming over the weekend, uh, which tells you this was uh, it was a very well kept secret. And they need once we were you know getting the story out the door that this was a, basically going to be a done deal within forty eight hours. Uh, that that even rushed the announcement further. It was it, they were talking about I think Sunday, and then it, it wound up becoming a Saturday announcement. And uh, which is sort and, of weird in the. It's weird. At that point, the whole thing was bizarre. But but great for your social life, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You guys had a fun weekend. So what? Apart from just the the speed at which the deal came together, what's the rationale for for this deal? What is AT and T saying that they want to do with Time Warner? Well, there's the rationale that they say, (laughs) and the rationale that that, I don't know that that we're all thinking about. Um, Look, I would say if if we're going to look at the rationale, we should start by looking at the financial rationale, even more than the strategic one. Um, AT&T's wireless, I mean, they, they just re- result, uh, released their results that were not good, right? Their revenue is down. They need growth. Wireless growth is stalled. So um, they they bought DirecTV because they needed to grow into new areas. And so in a really basic way, they just bought a contraption, which happens to be a media company that throws off uh, cash flow and it's going to help them service debt, and it's going to help them keep their dividend, they say. Uh, and it maybe doesn't necessarily matter what that thing does. It just you know, financially helps them. Um, they do, they've been spending a lot of time saying there's a big strategic reason for it, too. And this, this is when the, I think some of the, uh, <laughs> the language gets a little squishy. But generally, the idea is your smartphone is going to be the place where you're going to watch TV increasingly. Why not just buy the best maker of video content in some vague way that's going to help us uh, with with both of these businesses. But when they talk about what they're really going to do, it's all stuff around the edges. You know, it's, we're going to use our, the data of viewing to sell more addressable advertising. Um, Which is like sort of the pipe dream right now in, in TV advertising for a couple of years. That, totally. That you're going to be able to, you know, we're going to be able to be watching the same TV program and I'm going to get a different ad because I'm a pet owner than, than you. That's sort of long been the dream. Right. And they're kind of pitching this as this is good. this is the solution to that. And so yeah, it's I mean, unclear. The address, well, you're talking about addressable advertising, targeted advertising. That's one thing they've talked about. Another thing is is you know uh, more types of bundles and packages in, in TV and in mobile video. Those are both things that a lot of analysts and observers who are paying attention to this, to this are saying. Wait a minute, AT and T can do all those things now. They could do those things before they did this deal. So it's hard to understand exactly how. You know, it furthers those efforts. Does having Time Warner content make it more likely you put out a new type of AT&T bundle or make it easier? I mean, we'll get into some of the regulatory questions later, but uh, there are real questions about whether they get any real advantage over what they would have done before. Same with addressable advertising or using your TV viewing data. I think people are scratching their heads saying, wait a minute, what what could you not do as AT&T that now you can do? Um, the interesting thing, and, and Keech, uh might have some thoughts on this is that the the rationale from the other side for Time Warner um, is actually pretty good at this moment to sell. Uh, she mentioned the run that Fox made at the company uh, a couple of years ago, but you're, they're they're selling at kind of a high point in an otherwise uh, in an otherwise turbulent environment in television for 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 cable TV. So they've got great ratings at CNN because of the election. I mean, literally. 100% over last year, thanks to one Donald J. Trump. Right. Uh, they've got, um, you know... HBO. Re- they've got HBO that's still doing well. They've got a, a bundle of, of cable channels at, at Turner that have sports rights, that have NBA games and, and baseball games, that for the moment, all of that is holding together pretty well. Yeah. The question is, 
you know, they're staring at the possibility of cord cutting like everyone else, hurting their business. Who knows how fast that will pick up? So it's a great hedge against the future to get out now. So for them, it actually seems to be the right time. But as you point out, the lo- both of you guys have said the logic of it strategically for all of them. I don't know. I'm I'm still yet to be persuaded. So one of the th- you mentioned sort of like the the bundle uh, opportunity. AT and T used this as a, you know an, an opportunity at the WSG uh, WSJD conference to announce um, that their Directv Now sort of skinny, not so skinny bundle, 100 premium channels, $35 a month. It's coming out next month. There's been so much talk about uh, these skinny bundles entering the market. We've talked about it on this program with various executives, Hulu, Apple, Amazon, Google. Everyone's trying to make this happen. Um, Now there's a a product coming, another product coming out into the market. Does that really expedite the rate of change? Are we going to see a ton of these sort of competitors now entering the market, or, or is this just like, you know, AT and T kind of was able to throw this together rather quickly because they have they just have Time Warner already. And I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. It's pretty. It's a pretty aggressive move. Thirty five dollars for a hundred channels. It's a really like, good price point, right? Holy cow, that is shocking. I think most um, analysts were expecting like something about fifty dollars, right? Which would still be skinny, but you know, it wouldn't be like a game changer. But thirty five dollars. I mean, I have a I have a DirecTV satellite on my house. <laughs> I would like it to not be there anymore. It's awfully tempting to think about taking it down and switching, really. I mean, 100 channels, who needs more than that? There's still a lot of questions around that, right? We don't know, is HBO going to be in that for $35 yeah, they haven't or said not? That. There's been a, you know. Because HBO now is like 20 bucks a month, right? At 15. Or 15, yeah, so yeah. that. Yeah, so it's deafening to... silence on like the details, <laughs> I'd right. say. You know, CBS is still not in it. Um, you know, not there's a big hole kind of where that is. So I don't know. There's a lot of questions about that bundle, but it was a, I think it was sort of a genius PR move in the face of this deafening chorus of doubt from regulators about competition. And price. And Here's price. this really cool thing that we're going to do for $35. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought sort of a master stroke of spin. All right, cool. Well, we're going to uh, talk about the deal uh, more. Uh, going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Hi, I'm Paul Vigna. If you do not subscribe to the Money Bee podcast, you are going to feel worse than a short seller on the day of a big rally. Go to iTunes and WSJ.com slash podcasts. You want to sign up for this one. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back. Uh, what The big question now kind of going forward with this deal is like, is it going to actually happen? Uh, right now, um, Time Warner is trading at like 20% below uh, what the price that AT&T agreed to buy it for. That's sort of a signal that Wall Street has big doubts as to whether this will actually happen. A lot of people sort of comparing it to Comcast's acquisition of NBCU a few years ago, which took like 13 months and a lot of regulatory scrutiny. There's Bernie Sanders, who is against it, and Donald Trump. Um, so you kind of have both sides of the political spectrum that swiftly came out against it. So I guess the big question now is, like, what is the likelihood that this deal actually happens? 
Yeah, I think you mentioned the spread uh, in the stock. That's huge. I mean, even when Comcast was trying to buy Time Warner Cable, it, 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 that, that stock spread widened a few times, but I don't think it got to this point. So this is pretty uh, uh, telling that there's a lot of concern on Wall Street about the regulatory issues here. My own feeling is that you know, the theory that, that's on AT&T's side here is that this is what they call a vertical deal in Washington. In the jargon of Washington, that means that these are two companies that don't compete head-to-head. So you're not taking – the deal doesn't take a competitor out of the marketplace, unlike if a wireless company buys a wireless company or a TV company buys a TV company. They don't, these, these companies aren't really reducing competition, and that's what their argument's going to be. That's the fundamental premise of their lobbying uh, of what that's going to be. However – there's a lot of questions about uh, who could be hurt competitively in the, the television and, and Internet business, really within digital media broadly, um, and, uh, and whether or not there are real consumer benefits to the deal, which we were just getting at a little bit in terms of what products they'll come out with. And I think all those questions are going to be really tough for AT&T. It, it might be that they can get it approved, but with such stringent concessions and restrictions – Remember, Comcast had a lot of those restrictions for for a seven-year period that's still going. Um, it could be that they have get approved with all of those things on it, and then and then maybe AT&T doesn't want to do that or walks away. There's a lot of things for an, an investor to weigh here or for, um, you know, that could become issues in Washington. Um, we were talking about the bundle uh, that AT&T is coming out with. But first of all, let's just clarify. They don't have Time Warner yet, so there's no... Whatever they did today, they could have done a week ago. They still don't have Time Warner content. That doesn't happen for another year unless this deal closes. But let's just say, for argument's sake, they, they could use that to their advantage in allowing them a lower price for this mobile video thing they're putting out. Well, it's it's highly unlikely that the regulators are going to allow AT&T to, to have... Uh, a low-priced service that, to, to carry Time Warner shows and movies and channels at a lower rate in their own bundle than would be offered to competing skinny bundles. So those kinds of things for me raise questions as to whether all the potential advantages here of buying a content company could be nullified if regulators are very strict about saying you have to be a neutral arms dealer. Isn't that, you know? I think it could even be worse than that. I mean, there could be such blowback from them trying to push this thing through that the conditions that get put on it actually roll back what they can do right now. So right now, that DirecTV Now package, that's zero rated, right? That means that it doesn't use up your data when you stream it, supposedly. I mean, it's coming out in November, so we'll see. But they've said... This will not use up your data over over wireless if you if you want to do it. Um, but that's the exact kind of thing that if you all of a sudden if you own content, it makes regulators uncomfortable. And I could easily see, and in fact, already analysts have said there's no way that they're going to be able to keep zero rating stuff um, at the end of a regulatory process. Keep it exclusive to, to their to their own. own right to their own pa- packages, given like the regulatory climate right now, which is not super friendly. Which is interesting because zero rating is not the whole wireless. Uh, side of net neutrality has not really been fully aired and, and regulated and thought out and 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 uh, and figured out in Washington. So this deal might be the the time for the regulators to figure out what's fair. Is zero rate is is giving people content without charging them data uh, charges on their phone something that you know violates quote unquote net neutrality principles. That these are the kinds of new issues that are going to be litigated here. We've talked about in in our stories how obviously the the parallel is is Comcast, NBC, Universal, and that there is a sense among regulators that there were some 
you know, restrictions that they, they put on that were difficult to measure. And that might have some sort of impact here. What are some of those um, restrictions that, that were put on Comcast that, um, that regulators felt like were, were difficult to actually track? Well, a couple of things. First of all, a lot of just keep in mind that most of the business deals that these companies do, like Comcast, you know, essentially licenses TV programming from all the big cable channels and media companies. Those are private contracts and, and agreements that if they don't announce, which they don't, there's no press releases. Ever, uh, they, they do put out releases saying we're carrying this channel on our Comcast system, but they don't tell you all the terms. So it's very hard to tell if if uh, and uh, to know exactly what the terms of those deals are and to know what you can enforce and if they've lived up to the letter of every single thing that you mandated. Also, you know, take an example like Hulu, which we wrote about um, when Comcast was chasing Time Warner Cable. Hulu became an issue for the regulators in that situation because Comcast owns part of Hulu but is supposed to be kind of a silent partner. They're not supposed to have a say in management. And one question was, did Comcast sort of use in in ways that would be very hard for a regulator to to detect did comcast discourage selling hulu to a competitor gee it'd be a shame to, gee it'd be a shame if you that to, sort of soft power <laughs> yeah it's it's just very hard to police that and i think they not just in telecom and tech and media mergers but just generally um our reporting out of washington from um from brent kendall one of the reporters down there has, has shown that this has become a theme uh, for for the regulators that they're worried about whether you can enforce those kinds of restrictions. So the other obvious comparison here that people have been talking about um, is the you know, the failed AOL Time Warner merger. That this sort of content and distribution has been tried before. Um, I can't say that that had a huge impact on my life because I was ten uh, when that was announced. <laughs> um, but you guys are old, so uh, tell me. <laughs> yes, uh, is this tell you all about it? Tell me all about it. Is this the same thing, or um, is this con- just conceptually kind of the same thing? It's, it's not really. Um, you know, it doesn't really have any similarities to to the to that deal. Well, it definitely creates like a giant behemoth with a bunch of non-overlapping businesses that may or may not make sense together. Uh, I thought, Amal, when you asked uh, Jeff Bukas, the CEO of Time Warner, why is it different this time? I kept reading and rereading his answer about how, oh, because now distribution is more important and you know the flexibility of packages is more important. I just, I'm not sure it really answered the question for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think that a lot of people have been bringing that, that up. One of the big issues in that, which is, often pointed out is that there was a culture clash between these two companies, you know, an early first generation dot-com company and Time Warner, this like classic Hollywood uh, content company. And I don't know. I mean, I definitely saw differences in culture on stage yesterday. Um, Just, you know, like Jeff Bukas is this guy from Connecticut. He's head of a media company. Randall Stevenson, the CEO uh, of AT&T, has this like country twang. He's from Oklahoma. He's a, a known Republican donor. Don't see a ton of those in the halls of Time Warner. <laughs> uh, so even that alone, I, I, I just predict we, we shall see some interesting dances of culture going on. By the way, it, it, it does. Uh, it's going to be an in, in the lobbying effort for these companies. Um, Keep in mind that those cultural differences on the political side might be to AT&T's advantage in this deal. They've got a stable of people at Time Warner that are very connected to Democrats and and including to the Clintons. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how those people are 
are deployed. But I totally agree that there's a culture clash and that those things are going to be the same kinds of culture clashes as there were last time. The one thing I'll say, which should be said about this, that's different from AOL Time Warner, uh, substantially different, is that AT&T is a far stronger company at the moment in different types of businesses. Yes, it's distribution and so is AOL, but it's 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 in a stronger position, one could argue, far stronger than AOL was. Of course, no one knew that at the time in 1999 and 2000 when this deal was happening. Um, but the dot-com uh, you know, bust was about to happen, and a huge growing business for AOL was advertising from startups that were dot-com startups. So obviously not so great when the whole world blows up. And then, of course, there were accounting issues at, at AOL that made that business just tank after the merger. So Unless something shocking happens at AT&T, that, those issues are not really on the table. So we should be a little bit um, – I mean, we should factor that into our comparison, I guess. So apart, apart from regulatory scrutiny or anything like that that could derail this, um, we, we reported that Apple was thinking about Time Warner a few months ago. There, there are, of course, breakup fees. But what could possibly – I mean, could someone swoop in and – offer a better deal? Uh, is that even conceivable at this point? Or are we just sort of waiting to see if the, the deal between these two happen? Oh, I think it's totally conceivable. Um, there are definitely a lot of people out there uh, on the edges of their seats sort of expecting something like that. I thought that Tim Cook's comments uh, yesterday during his earnings call, he was asked directly, the, sorry, the CEO of Apple was asked directly, hey, <laughs> what do you think about owning content? You know, and I mean, <laughs> He could not have signaled more clearly that they are very much interested in looking at transactions of the size of Time Warner and um, of owning content as part of their strategy. I mean, it was for someone who is as, as careful as as Tim Cook usually is. It was like a a loud. Yeah, he's ready for that question. Yeah, for he sure. definitely was. Definitely was. So um, I'm very much keeping an eye on Apple, and as we've reported, Apple is keeping an eye on this deal. And we've reported that Apple made an approach a couple months ago, and. That didn't go anywhere. Now, none of this should be taken. We don't know that Apple is definitely coming in or is going to come in with a bid here. But as we've said, they're definitely they've been interested and in, in, they have been interested in Time Warner. And then sort of wrapping things up, I guess, what what broadly does this do to the TV ecosystem? So everyone has been watching Viacom and CBS, uh, f- you know, for the past few months for for different reasons. And that now, um, you know, does this expedite? the you know potential that those two end up merging or are there other big mergers in the in the TV ecosystem that this might uh, push along so in the early hours after the deal uh, I I've thought oh this is finally the media consolidation we've all been waiting for for two three years we've been writing these pieces you know writing about the Sun Valley conference oh look look who's there what, are they gonna do the big deal because the industrial logic of content companies bulking up is so obvious in the face of these big mergers of dis- distributors. This is a little different than that, right? It w- if, if it was two content companies coming together, it would be like a no-brainer. Oh, of course, other content companies have to tie up to compete in leverage. This is more complicated. And so now, now that I've let a few days go by, yes, the stocks are up of the companies like Discovery Communications or Scripps or AMC, these viable um, companies. Not so sure. I'm not so sure anyone has to do anything, as uh, Jeff Bukas himself said. I think on Monday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so true that that the it's a reflexive reaction for all of us. Well, this is it. This is going to set off the content uh, and, and media consolidation wave. 
What's interesting is that the two big deals that are probably going to happen um, uh, in the short term here, the giant deals, are both kind of unique. So the, the CBS Viacom thing, which Keech has been um, has been covering better than anyone out there, seems to be on a fast track on its own. But that's all been tied to the, the changing Redstone Empire and power struggle. It's kind of there are underlying dynamics at Viacom that make wanting to do a merger with somebody like CBS good, but this is all happening. Let's not kid ourselves because of what happened inside the Redstone Empire that you've covered. And meanwhile, you've got this very unique content and distribution deal that how many of those can happen? Okay, Comcast has done theirs. AT&T has done theirs. You Verizon's could, kind of taking a different strategy Verizon as well. has been taking a different – you could argue Verizon – this might make Verizon consider some options within – um, the content world, or Apple, or Disney—you know the rumors of Disney, Netflix, Disney—all these. There's there's a lot of combinations out there that people could do that would be seen as a reaction to this, but they're not innumerable, you know. So it's it's uh, in a way these two things are in their own lane from all the other media consolidation we've talked about. Cool. All right. Well, we'll be we'll be writing about it. So keep listening. Keep reading. Uh, thanks, thanks to you both for coming on for this special WSJ Media Mix podcast. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.